Anthony Bourdain, Avicii, Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park, Jonathan Brandis, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana, Amy Winehouse, Ernest Hemingway, Freddie Prinze, Kate Spade, Robin Williams. All these people have at least one thing in common. They're all famous, successful, and they all committed suicide. Now, I understand there's a lot of different reasons that people commit suicide. It may be just a momentary time of despair. A lot of times there's obviously mental health issues connected with it. But I think if we're honest, when we hear about something like this in the news, and we know these people are are so successful and they have all these things going for them, don't we ask the question, why? I mean, if, if they had everything, why couldn't they find something to live for? And I really think that that is the message of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was a man who had it all, but apparently apart from God, he had trouble finding something to live for because in chapter two, verse 17, he said, I hate life. Now, let me just review a little bit because we've been doing a series called Unsatisfied as we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, but I know some of you today are new to this. And so Solomon was the, the, the king of Israel around 1,000 B.C. He was the last king over a united Israel. And he was a celebrity in his day beyond being a ruler. I mean, he was really probably the most famous man in the world of his day. He was the wealthiest man. He was the wisest man. Uh, he had 700 wives, 300 other women. Uh, he had all the pleasure he wanted. He had all the stuff he wanted. He had great accomplishments. He built great things. He, he had and did whatever he wanted. But he said, I hate life. He started the book by saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And he uses this word vanity over 30 times through the course of this book. We'll see a couple of them uh, today. He, He uses it to refer to different things. But basically, this word means, it means empty. It means absurd. It means meaningless. It it, it means nothing. Nothing. He's saying, I had it all, and I'm still empty on the inside. Do you feel empty today? Do you feel like something's missing in your life? Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and and, and life's really hard right now. But, But, you know, sometimes where we are and where we can identify with Solomon, I think, is maybe life's going good, but it still doesn't seem right. It still seems like there's got to be more, that that there's something missing. And so what Solomon, who was a man uh, who at one point, you know, walked with God, he knew God, he wrote the book of Proverbs, he wrote Song of Solomon, but then he got away from God. And, And I think Ecclesiastes is him telling his story of life apart from God and, and just how unsatisfied he was. And so here's the point, what he's saying to us is, that if we want to really want to have satisfaction in life, it comes through Jesus. 
that the way that we experience real satisfaction is by surrendering to Jesus. And when we do that, that's when we find purpose in living our life now. And that's how we find hope in facing death. And I think that's the big idea of what he's telling us in the, in the scripture that we're going to look at today, that satisfaction is in Jesus. And so I want to try to answer this question this morning. How do we experience the satisfaction? So if you've got a Bible, let's go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at the last couple of verses of chapter 11. And then we're going to walk through chapter 12, and I'm going to try to unpack it and explain it and help us apply it to our lives. If you don't have a Bible, we'll look at the verses. Uh, You can see them on the screen. They're in the church app. But if we're going to experience this kind of satisfaction, how do we do this? Well, it starts with realizing that life is empty apart from Jesus. Without Jesus, that life is empty Look at what he says at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And it's interesting that he starts with the word rejoice because in a lot of ways, this book is pretty dark and gloomy and pessimistic. But sprinkled throughout, there's these, been these times where he said to rejoice or enjoy the good gifts that God gives us. And this is one of these times. And I want us to understand that uh, God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy him, to be thankful, to enjoy the good gifts that that he gives. God is not the cosmic uh, killjoy in the sky. But the thing about it is, how are we going to live life and how do we actually enjoy life? And what Solomon has been saying to us It's when we try to do life our own way, when we try to do money and sex and work and relationships and family and pleasure and all these things under the sun according to our own ideas, then we're not going to end up with joy. We're going to end up with emptiness. But he says when we know God and we live according to God's design, that's when we experience joy and peace and satisfaction. When we, you know, when our philosophy of life and our wisdom and the way we approach work and finances and possessions and relationships and sex and all these other things is lined up with God's design, that's when we experience the life that God wants us to have. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Now, it's interesting we say this because he lived in a culture that highly valued and respected age. Our culture today, though, glorifies youth. I mean, think of the um, expense, the lengths that people go to to look and to feel younger. Right? And if you're over a certain age, who can blame them, right? I mean, I'm 50. A lot of days I'm like, man, I wish I knew what I knew now at 25. I mean, could I be 25 again with what I know now? You know, life would be pretty awesome that way, but it doesn't work that way. But he says, rejoice. He says, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And and how are you going to do that? Well, this is one of these times in Ecclesiastes. I've said, you know, if you take things out of context, you can start a cult. If you take the next line, you can start a cult uh, off what he says here. He says the way to do it, he says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. 
Does that really fit with the rest of the Bible? Now, hang on, there's a but coming, but it, it, this is what the world, uh, what society tells us today, right? Indulge your heart, follow your heart. Whatever your eyes see, go for it, like, right? You do you. You be happy, you love yourself, you build the life that you uh, w- wanna have. You only live once, you know, just go for it now. Experience everything you can and, and don't let anybody tell you that what you want is wrong. That's what the world tells us. It, it's about self. But where does that lead us? That's the question. Solomon's saying it's a road to nowhere. I don't know if you've heard of a, a young lady named Addison Ray or not. She was on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon recently, and there's kind of been this media, social media dust up after that because uh, she did some dances on the show that apparently other people created. She's a TikTok celebrity, and apparently nobody's written the ethics book yet on plagiarizing dances on TikTok. Uh, but I'd never heard of her before. Uh, you, this may be shocking, but I don't spend a ton of time on TikTok. <laughs> I, I mean, Preston and I don't sit around and send TikTok videos back and forth to each other all day. But uh, um, she has 79 million followers on TikTok. And um, she uh, recorded a song, and, and like the reason she was on the show was it was supposed to be the live debut of this song. And uh, the title of the song is Obsessed. And here's a little bit of the lyrics. She wrote and sings, You say you're obsessed with me. So I took a second and said, Me too. I'm obsessed with me as much as you. Say you'd die for me, I'd die for me too. And if I lost you, I'd still have me I can't lose. No wonder we have marriage problems today. I don't really need you, I got me. When you say that you're obsessed with me, me too. And I'm not judging her. I think that could be an anthem for our society today. We're very self-obsessed. Follow your heart. Follow your eyes. Do what looks good to you. That sounds so good. That is so appealing to us, isn't it? But there's a but. And here's the but. He says, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. In other words, you can follow your heart. You can do whatever looks good to your eyes, but you're going to have to answer to God someday. Now, if you don't believe you're going to have to answer to God someday, follow your heart. Indulge whatever you see with your eyes. But are you sure you're not going to have to answer to God someday? And, and, And even if you would say no, how's that working out for you? You say it's working out great. I'm either not buying that or I'm telling you it's not going to last. I'm 50 years old. I've been a a pastor for 25 years. I've talked to enough people that I can stand up here with 100% confidence and tell you it will not work out for you. If you think it will, you're believing a lie. 
And I don't want you to believe that lie. I don't want your life to get ruined because I care about you. And so Solomon says, therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. Youth looks so glorious, but even it's empty apart from God. He says, repent because judgment's coming. Apart from Jesus, life is empty. William McDonald says something that I absolutely agree with. He says, without God, man must either fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. That's what Solomon would say to us, that I succeeded miserably. Don't succeed miserably. Realize that life is empty apart from Jesus. But then that leads into chapter 12. And based on that, based on this emptiness, based on this vanity, what he's telling us to do then is to remember our creator now so we don't waste our lives. Look at what he says in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. I mean, if you're young, this is the verse in the Bible for you. This is God's word through Solomon to you. I mean, when we're young and we're trying to figure out life, sometimes we ask, well, what does God want me to do with my life? And the question is, well, how do I know what God says? How do I hear the voice of God? Well, if you want to hear the voice of God, read the Bible out loud. Here's what the voice of God. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. He says, before the difficult days come, you say, well, my life's already difficult. We're going to see in the context what he's talking about here is the difficulty of getting older. He says, in the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Daniel Webster Webster's Dictionary. You know what a dictionary is? Not ask your grandparents. Um, he, he said, the greatest thought I've ever had and the most important thing I've ever learned is that I am personally accountable to the God of all creation. And, and, and what he's saying here, I think in the context is that if we don't want to waste our lives if we don't want to live a life that's ultimately empty, learn now that you are personally accountable to the God of all creation and live your life like you know that. He's saying because you're not going to live forever. Now, if you're at a certain age or under, I don't know exactly what the age is, maybe in your 40s, maybe your 30s, definitely your 20s, um, that statement I just made has no real meaning to you. Because you feel like you're going to live forever. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I turned 50 last year. So I was about to turn 50. That's when death actually seemed like a reality to me. Like, it's, it's something, it hit me that I'm not immortal. At some point, I am actually going to die. And that's part of what he's trying to get us to realize in, in, in what he's writing here and, and to live our lives in accordance with that reality. We don't like to talk about death. I mean, we can get all sappy when it comes to death. But I think Rick Warren is right when he says, why would we want to live our lives ignoring and live our lives unprepared for what is inevitable? 
I mean, is that not stupid? If I, maybe that's not the most spiritual word, but is it not stupid? I mean, if you knew tomorrow that if you didn't do something, your house was going to burn down, would you not be stupid if you didn't do something about it? If we know we're going to die at some point, is it real smart to not be ready for it? Especially when we don't know when it might happen. So I guess that's one of the things that hits me about turning 50. You know, I may have 30 or 40 more years of good health. Or I may have 30 or 40 more months of good health. We don't know. Are we ready? And he's saying to live our lives in light of this reality. That's how we can live right, right now, and have a hope in facing death. I mean, look, look at how he describes getting older here. Some of you can relate to this. Some of you are like going to be like, oh, wow, this is, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with this. Uh, but remember, there's only two options. You can get older or you can get dead. <laughs> I mean, are there any other options? I mean, Jesus can come back, but we don't have any control over that one. Uh, he says here in verse 2, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. He's speaking of death, and he uses this poetic language, and he says, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, uh, he, he, he's talking about, you know, when someone gets older, their motor skills diminish. You ever seen an older person that just kind of shakes all the time? That's what he's talking about. He says, and the strong men bow down. He's talking about, you know, older people, even who are really good health, really good shape, you lose muscle mass as you get older. And some older people stoop and, and bend over. It, it's what he's talking about. He says, when the grinders cease because they're few. He, he's talking about, uh, you know, older people, and it would probably happen to everybody, even the king in that day and time, they're, they're teeth falling out, right? They didn't have modern dental care. You know, Solomon, he's probably talking about himself. He doesn't exactly sound like the Brad Pitt of his day anymore here. Um, he says, and those that look through the windows grow dim. They, they lose their eyesight. He says, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. In other words, as you get older, your hearing gets worse. But then he says, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and, and this great contradiction, as you get older, your hearing gets worse, but everything wakes you up. You can't sleep anymore, right? And some of you are like, I'm not even old and this is my life. He says, and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also, they're afraid of height and of terrors in the way. You know, older people have fears maybe that when we're younger, we don't even think about. Maybe they're just even afraid of falling. He says, when the almond tree blossoms, talking about either losing your hair, or your hair turning white, he says, the grasshopper is a burden, talking about a loss of mobility. He says, and desire fails. He's talking about losing the ability to have sex. This man, that that was such a big part of his life, he says, I can't even do that anymore. And so he's saying, getting old, it can be rough. I mean, my mom's 78, and uh, she's uh, very blessed and very spry and good health. But she said to me re recently that getting old is no walk in the park. But I could take you to the home of a lady that I've known for a long time who's under hospice care right now. And, you know, we spend so much of our life trying to see how long we can stay alive. Her prayer is, God, why am I still here? Why are you letting me linger? Why don't you just take me home? Why am I suffering? You know, you can come to the point of where instead of praying, God, give me more years, you're praying, God, I want to go to heaven. 
That's what this can do to you. And so he says, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. He's saying death is inevitable. At some point in life, at least as far as on this earth, what your life is going to come to is some people getting together in a church or a funeral home and saying some nice things about you and then going and eating potato salad and fried chicken in your honor. <laughs> and so if all we've got is this life, what have we got? Do we have something to live for? Do we have something to die for? I have a friend whose wife died recently. We would say uh, prematurely based on their age. And, and just in texting him, asking how he's doing, he texted this to me. He said, I have to live. I can't do God's work if I'm not living. I honestly could have grieved myself into the grave. Many do. But there's too much to live for. Do you have something to live for even when life is at its worst? My friend Ben Shounds, a pastor at Arrowhead Church in Morristown, and they went on a, a trip to Honduras last month, and he posted this after they got back. He said, there were many reasons not to spend last week in Tegucigalpa, but my heart needed a reminder that the mission is bigger than enduring COVID. As always, you receive way more than you give on these trips. Grateful for the Lord's protection for the guys on this team and those we served. Wisdom and caution are, ne are necessary, and recklessness should only be for the cause of love. And once again, there are bigger things to live for than staying alive. There are bigger things to live for than staying alive. Do you have anything bigger to live for than staying alive? Solomon says you're going to have a purpose in living your life. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. But he also says, if you want to have a hope in facing death, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. That's how you can have a hope in facing death. That's how you can be prepared. Look at what he goes on to say here in the next three verses in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. And those are just kind of poetic metaphors for death. That's, that's what he's talking about. He says, then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Life is empty. Death is empty apart from Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't like to talk about death, but we need to think about death in a biblical, truthful way because here's what I think happens a lot of times when we talk about death in our society. Everybody turns into a saint. Everybody gets all spiritual and religious at the mention of death. Right, you, somebody could want nothing to do with God or they could be talking about somebody who had nothing to do with God, but when they die, they went to heaven or maybe it's not even heaven, you know, they're up above looking down on us now. In, in some great fuzzy version of the afterlife. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Some of you 
may know or you know of, Dante Harris, who went to Lakeway Christian Academy and uh, played basketball there, uh, probably one of the best basketball players ever to come through East Tennessee. And he signed with Georgetown. He played with Georgetown uh, this year. And uh, Rob and my wife works at Lakeway, and uh, her and Dante are, are, are buddies, and he had came back to see her recently. But uh, you know, Georgetown had a bad regular season, but they got on a roll during the Big East tournament, and we actually watched the last couple of games. They won the Big East tournament, and uh, he was the MVP of the tournament. And Georgetown's coach is a guy named Patrick Ewing. If you like basketball, I don't have to explain to you who Patrick Ewing is, but I know not everybody likes basketball. So Patrick Ewing uh, was probably one of the greatest college basketball players ever, won a championship when he played at Georgetown under the legendary coach John Thompson. He played in the NBA, uh, was you know, a great uh, Hall of Fame player there. But then he's kind of taken an unusual path since then because, you know, most star basketball players that go into coaching, you know, get jobs based on their name. But he spent like 15, 20 years as an assistant coach in the NBA before landing this job as the head coach at, at, at Georgetown. And so when they were interviewing him and different people uh, talking after they won the Big East uh, tournament, and, uh, you know, he's talking about John Thompson and his mentor and their relationship. And the day that they won the tournament coincided with, I don't remember if it's the anniversary of uh, John Thompson's death or, or, or something else. So they're talking about John Thompson. And what Patrick Ewing and all these people keep saying is like, coaches, uh, he's up there and he's looking down on us and he's, he's so happy for me and he's so happy uh, for us. And one of the guys said, well, you know, what would uh, Coach Thompson say right now if he, if, if he were here? And he was like, well, I can't repeat that on uh, television. And and this kind of thing. And, and, and here's what I'm saying. I don't know John Thompson. I don't know his heart. I don't know his spiritual condition. I don't know if he's in heaven or hell. But I do know he's either in heaven or hell, according to Jesus Christ. He's not in some fuzzy afterworld up there with his job to be to root and cheer and give good vibes to the Georgetown basketball program and so they can be successful from here on out. Because Jesus, the Son of God who left heaven and came to earth and, and rose from the dead and went back to heaven, says that heaven is real. He says that hell is real. And we're going to one place or the other. And where we go is not just that everybody goes to this warm, fuzzy afterlife. Our eternal destiny is dependent upon our response to Jesus Christ. Why? Because our creator made us in his image and he made us to know him and be with him uh, forever. But being made in his image means that we have the ability to make choices. In our first parents, Adam and Eve, and all of us since then have chosen to go our own way in our pride. We've tried to be our own God and we've sinned against God and our sins separate us from God. And uh, we cannot save ourselves. Our own works and effort don't get us back to God. That's the bad news. 
But the good news is, even though we were under the judgment and the curse of God for our sin, that he loved us so much that he chose to come in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect and a sinless life. And then he went to the cross, dying our death, bearing our sins, dying in our place. And Galatians 3.13 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who dies on a tree. And he just didn't become our curse and bear our sins, but three days later, he rose from the dead. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And that's why that forgiveness and a relationship with God and satisfaction and hope and ultimately eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. Yaroslav Pelikan has said, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. But if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. Listen, if you're here today claiming to be a Christian, you're staking your life and your eternity on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, not as a religious idea, but as a historical fact. And that's why Paul said, if there is no resurrection and if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're of the all men to be the most pitied because we're staking it all on whether or not this is true. But here's the thing. If Jesus Christ is the son of God who appeared in time and space and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, he is the son of God who died for our sins. Then why wouldn't we give our life to him? But if he didn't, why are we here today? Why go through the facade, the charade? He's saying, get off the fence. Because if we really want to experience this satisfaction that he's talking about, how he's going to end the book is by saying that we're going to experience it when we surrender to Jesus the shepherd as our teacher, our savior, our king, and our Lord. Look at how he ends the book in, starting in Ecclesiastes 12.9. He says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. He's talking about himself. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. He says, the words of the wise are like goads, which a goad was like a, a long uh, stick with a pointed end that they used to guide and direct oxen. You know, they kind of prick them with it to get them going in, in the right direction. He says, the words of scholars are like well-driven nails. And then notice this phrase. In some ways, it may be the key to understanding the entire book. He says, given by one shepherd. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, let me illustrate with a little story. So I was talking to our church treasurer recently. Her name's Angela Greenman, and her and her husband Noah have one little girl. Her name's Ariana, who's three. And I guess I was asking about their family, and somehow that, I guess, prompted her to tell me this story. But she said recently, uh, Ariana's about to take a nap. She's going to read her book before she took her nap. And you know, she's kind of walking through the book and you know, showing her the pictures and that kind of thing. There was a picture of a shepherd. And she's like, you know, uh, what's that? And what's the shepherd do and all this kind of stuff? And Angela explained it to her. And Ariana goes, oh, like Jesus. And so 
That's the reaction we need to have to this phrase this morning. Oh, like Jesus. Because anytime this phrase, one shepherd, is used in the Old Testament, it's a reference to the Messiah, who is Jesus the Christ. And he, we'll look at this in a minute, but he takes it and applies it to himself in John chapter 10. But he says, and further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. In other words, what he's saying, there's all kinds of knowledge, all kinds of information, but what we need is wisdom and truth. And how much more is that true today? And then he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, you ever said to somebody, like, bottom line it for me? This is Solomon bottom lining it for us. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, reverence him, worship him, honor him, glorify him, and keep his commandments. Fear God and obey him, for this is man's all. This is life. This is what it's about. This is where there's meaning and purpose and satisfaction. Why? Because he says, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Surrender to this shepherd. Trust him. Look at what Jesus says about himself and how this connects in John chapter 10. Starting in verse 10, he says, the thief does not come except to kill, uh, to steal, to kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's what God wants for you. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And, and, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's talking about he, he died for us. He says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. He's talking about us, the Gentiles. Speak, he was speaking to the Jews in context. He says, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. If you're hearing the voice of God uh, calling you to Jesus today, listen to that shepherd voice. That means that God has chosen you and God is working in you and, and, and he is, it wants to save you today. Day. He says, there will be one flock, the church, and here's that phrase, and one shepherd, Jesus the Messiah, our God and our King, the head of the church. He says, therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. In other words, I'm dying for you, but then he says, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. I'm rising from the dead. This command I have received from my father. He's saying, trust Jesus, surrender to him. He's the shepherd who can lead us to fountains of living water. He's the bread of life. He's the one whom hope and purpose and meaning and satisfaction are found in. Why? He's our teacher, that's the idea here. Solomon's saying all kinds of knowledge, all kinds of information, but we need truth. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, if you know my word, uh, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. The Bible says in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and, and, and knowledge. Listen, we've got all kinds of knowledge. I mean, think about it. I mean, when our kids growing up would ask us a question, our favorite parental phrase was, Google it. Right, because uh, all the information in the world almost is at your fingertips. But we're more confused than ever. Because we need truth and wisdom, those goads, those nails coming from this one shepherd to guide our lives, to get us on the right path. Because we can walk a path following the dictates of our own heart and following what looks good to our eyes. But Solomon said in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is the way of death. He's our teacher. He's our savior. He said in John 10, he laid down his life and he took it up again. But ultimately, he's our king and our Lord and our God. I mean, think about this. We, we, we talked about this last week. Jesus said, talking of himself, that a greater than Solomon is here. Now, Solomon was the king. He was a great king, great but obviously flawed man. Have you ever read the Old Testament and, and had this question? I've had this question. It's like, when you read the Old Testament, it's like, when the king's godly, God blesses Israel. When the king's ungodly, God judges Israel. You've been like, why? Like, it doesn't seem fair. Why is this king representing the whole nation before God? Well, remember that everything in the Bible, even the Old Testament, is about Jesus. And so the king was like the covenant head of the nation, that God dealt with, and if the king was faithful, God blessed. If the king was unfaithful, God judged. Seems like a lot of pressure, doesn't it? But I want you to see something. It was that way because it needed to be that way to be a picture of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're not under the old covenant anymore represented by a prophet or a priest or a king. We're under a new covenant and Jesus is our covenant head and Jesus is our prophet, our priest and our king who stands in the presence of God uh, for us, representing us and that's why in Christ under this new covenant all the promises of God in him are yes and amen and we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ and that's why we need Jesus to know God and to experience fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and joy. That's what Solomon's saying to us. At the end of the day, what Solomon is trying to do is to help us to see that we don't really have any other options. That religion's not gonna work. Worldly wisdom's not gonna work. Pleasure's not gonna satisfy you. Money's not gonna satisfy you. None of these things are gonna satisfy you. Jesus will. I shared a couple of verses from John 6 earlier in, in the series. I want to close with that. But after I shared these verses, it was interesting. And what I said about them is when I've had questions and struggles and doubts, these verses have kind of been an anchor point for me in my life. But after uh, I said that, I've recently since then had conversations initiated by two of my kids. And, and just, if you don't know me, 
This is my wife, Robin, and Molly is our middle child, who's 22, who's up here singing, and then Jay, our son, is 25, he lives in Nashville, and then we have a 16-year-old. And um, Molly is like her mom, and, and Jay and Lily are a lot like me, particularly spiritually in that, like, Molly and Robin, they never really have any doubts. They just believe. They just have a lot of faith. Me, Jay, and Lily, we're like, prove it to us. We've had all kinds of questions, all kinds of doubts. But what's interesting to me is we've talked about this. They would say the same thing that I would say, and it's this. In John 6, Jesus was teaching some people, and some people were offended by what he was saying, and people were walking away. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so many times in my life, and this is what Jay and Lily were saying too, when I've uh, struggled or I've doubted or I've wondered, is this real, is this true? Or, uh, you know, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Like the song is saying, I've had to come back and say, Lord, where else am I gonna go? There really are no other options. I think that's the message of Ecclesiastes in a sentence. Lord, to whom else are we gonna go? They're saying, Jesus, you are it. You are the resurrected savior. You are the king. You're our teacher. You're our Lord. You're the son of God who came from heaven to earth and died for our sins and rose from the dead. Our hope is in you. We're surrendering to you. We're trusting you. And that's how we find satisfaction in life. None of this other stuff works. So what are you basing your life on? What are you trusting in? Are you forgiven? Are you satisfied? Are you filled up on the inside? If not, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, and I'll give you living water to drink. Will you drink that living water today? Will you come to him? I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to give you a chance to respond to him. Listen, if you're listening online and the voice of that shepherd, the spirit of God is speaking to your heart, will you respond to him now? The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Do you believe in your heart today that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for your sins and he rose from the dead? If you do, will you now confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Will you repent of your sins? Place your faith and trust in him, surrender to him. Jesus, come and save me. Jesus, take control of me. Listen, just call on his name. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to make you new. Listen, if, if you need help with some words, and it's not the words, it's the faith in your heart, but just call on his name and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I admit that. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to make me new. Jesus, I ask you to take control of my life, to come and fill me up, to connect me to God. Jesus, I want to live for you. 
I, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And right now, receive, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Listen to me. If, if you just, in faith, called on the name of Jesus, I want to ask you to do something before you leave. I want to ask you to let us know so we can help you on your spiritual journey. Listen, if you're online, you, you can text uh, TLC Decision to 94,000, or you can go in the comments or the, or the, or the chat and um, you know, let one of our hosts know. Listen, if you've got questions, you're like, you know, I'm thinking about this, I'm interested in this, I'm, I'm just not sure yet, let them know. If you're here in the room in just a moment, we're going to fill out some response forms. Let us know if you've made that step, if you've committed your life to Christ, or if you've got questions, let us know so we can follow up with you. Or when we're finished, I'm going to be at the front. We're going to have some other people wearing TLC lanyards at the front and in the lobby. If you want to talk to somebody, if you've got questions, you need prayer, we would love to help you. That's, that's why we're here today. It's because we want people to meet Jesus because he is the one who brings satisfaction. You know, maybe some of you would say, I'm a Christian, I, I know Christ. But if you're honest, honest, you're like Solomon, you've gotten away from God. The Bible says a backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. You're reaping what you sow now. God is waiting on you as your father with open arms to come back to him. If you'll repent, if you'll ask him to forgive you of your sins, if you'll get up and turn around and, and, and come to him, he'll receive you. But I, I just want to encourage you. If you're not settled in your relationship with God, don't leave without that today. Let us help you. Let us take God's word and make sure that's settled. Because once again, if Jesus rose from the dead, nothing else matters. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, nothing else matters. What are you going to hang your life on? What are you going to hang your death on? Don't wait. Father, in the name of Jesus, pray by the power of your spirit that you would work supernaturally, miraculously, and transform lives and draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.